All right, good morning, everyone. All right, good morning, Jeff. Jeff's the loudest one, I love it. All right, Um, I always love, I said this last week, like the Sunday before Thanksgiving is probably my favorite Sunday to preach on because everyone seems to be in a good mood because there's like time off from school and you know, good food ahead of us. Uh, But it's good to see some uh, faces I haven't seen for a while. For those of you back from the holidays to visit, visit family, it's always, we, we hope that this is a, that South Valley is a place where you always uh, just feel um, welcome coming back home to. And it's great to see how um, God leads many of us across the country and across our world even to uh, different, um, different things that we might be called to. And so it's just always good to see some familiar faces this morning. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Last week we talked about the importance of Thanksgiving and how having a thankful heart uh, before God reminds us of what's really most important. And the crazy, and so today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to turn our attention into the Christmas season. Um, and uh, I really love that first song we just sang uh, and uh, talking about um, Jesus coming into our world. And so um, if you're anything like me, the holidays are a great time because of you know, gatherings and food, and but there's also a lot of stress that can be attached to a lot of them. I did some things this week that I have sworn to myself I would never do, which is uh, I went to Ranch 99 twice over, like once on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, and once yesterday, because I had not planned out what things I needed in the house for things I was cooking for various gatherings. And then I even went to like, if you know me, this is something I would never do. Like, I love Costco. I go to Costco all the time. We'll talk more about Costco later in the sermon. But I do not ever plan on going, like, during the Thanksgiving weekend for fear of, like, what the Black Friday, like, kind of traffic looks like. But uh, apparently, based on what Daniel was saying earlier, all you young people in the back have Black Friday is not a thing for you anymore. So maybe it wasn't that bad. Um, but both of those, in both cases, when I got in my car to go drive somewhere, there's like an extra level of anxiety with the holidays where it's like, how come the parking is more filled up than usual? How come, like, why do I feel like I'm in a bigger rush than I need to be when in the grand scheme of things, you really don't have to. And that's something that can happen during the holiday season. So just as we talked about the importance of being thankful last week, um, today I wanted to, uh, I wanted us to take a look at one aspect of the Christmas season when we remember what Christmas is really about. And um, all right, let's take a little Christmas quiz for you. I, raise your hand um, based on the various things I'm going to say, but a lot of times right after Thanksgiving is over, it's like immediately Christmas season. So um, how many, okay, how many of you would say as soon as Thanksgiving is over, you immediately start listening to Christmas music? <laughs> you have to see from my vantage point, there's like no, there's like one delayed hand and only the two Jin sisters immediately shot their hands up in the back. That's awesome. But that's something that happens for a lot of people. Okay, here's another, here's another question. How many of you have your Christmas tree already? Oh, Yvonne does. That's awesome. I know a lot of people who, like, at some point during the Thanksgiving weekend, one task is to go out and get your Christmas tree before the end of that weekend. It's like we're not even done with one holiday, but we're already moving into the next one. All right. Um, Let's see. How many of you have already started your Christmas shopping? 
Okay, so that, that one got the most hands. Okay, yeah, and maybe, maybe all, the, all the sales and all the deals have to do with that. So, okay, here's a fun one. Uh, I'm really curious about this one. How many of you still have your Christmas lights up from last year? Well, I, I'm surprised at the reaction, Amber. That's like, that's the thing that happens, trust me. Some people just never take them down, so. And I think the reason why some people would never take down their Christmas lights is like, it's a lot of work to put them up. And then you do all the work to put them up and you think, you know, by mid-January, you're like, I should really take these things down. But then, you know, there's other priorities that we might have. And so I just ask all these questions because they're kind of fun ways for us to think about the holiday season. But this Christmas, I really hope that just as we talked about Thanksgiving reminds us of what's most important. And we saw from the Apostle Paul last week that knowing his eternal salvation was secure um, in the, the hope that we have in knowing um, the God of this universe. That's the thing that, that matters the most. And in the same way, when we come to Christmas, hopefully we can really point ourselves um, to what really matters. And um, during, during the holiday season, um, a lot of us, I think, get stressed. Like I was talking about shopping and the lack of parking spaces and how it feels different. But a lot of us have finals coming up. A lot of us have deadlines at work coming up. There are more gatherings than usual, which I think deep down are meant to be a good thing, but sometimes it might add more complications to our lives. And before we get lost in all of that during this Christmas season, um, there's a phrase that I want us to focus on this morning that comes from the book of John in the first chapter. And so this, this message is really about Jesus being the true light. Um, in past years, we've done sermon series where um, we've had, um, where we've talked about different um, names that are attached to Jesus during the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, things that are prophesied from the Old Testament. Um, but today, as we look into the book of John, we're going to see um, how Jesus is described as the true light. And I think that's a really important uh, idea for us to kind of latch onto as we go into this holiday season, um, that we could see that Jesus really is the true light. So um, I'm going to read from John chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to see if I could get this up on the screen. It's the power of Enoch being sick and controlling it from home. No, Enoch's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. This is amazing. Technology is amazing. All right. So John 1, uh, verses 9 to 13. This will be our main passage for today. We'll look at a few other verses that will help support this, but this is where we're going to camp out today. But let's read John chapter 1, verse, starting verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that during um, this holiday season, Lord, though there are many things that I know we might feel tempted to be anxious by, God, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we could know the true light. Um, God, in, in a world that we, we know and we see can often be very dark. 
And so, Lord, I pray for all of us who uh, might struggle to see um, the light or the goodness that, um, that comes from you during this season, that you would really, uh, truly be opening our minds and our hearts um, to consider what it means that your son, Jesus, is the true light. So, God, I just pray that we would have open minds and open hearts as we hear from your word this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to see three things. We're going to focus on three things in this passage. Um, as is the title of the message, we're going to see how Jesus is the true light. Secondly, we're going to see how darkness becomes a common choice. And then finally, we're going to see how receiving Jesus um, inherits this light that he gives. So those are the three things we're going to focus on in this passage. So first, what does it mean that Jesus is the true light? In uh, verse 9, those are the first three words. But really, where this comes from, it starts at the very beginning of John. Um, in the four Gospels, John is written in a very different style than the other three. The other three have a bit more, maybe, I guess, um, Chronology is not exactly the right word, but structure from one event to another. And John certainly talks about a lot of the events. But John writes about the fewest events out of all the four gospel writers, but he writes about them in much greater detail. And so um, he starts off his, where, where a lot of the other uh, books, uh, the gospel accounts, start with kind of an account of Jesus' birth. This is a very different way for a gospel account to start. And so uh, to see what, what the author of John is talking about when he says Jesus is the true light, um, let's go back to the very beginning. And these might be familiar verses for us if we've, we've gone through the book of John before. But John starts by saying, he doesn't start with the genealogy of Jesus the way Matthew does. He doesn't start with the Christmas story the way that Luke does. He doesn't start with the ministry of Jesus the way that, that Mark does. Um, but this is how he starts. It's very interesting. And he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in these verses that precede this phrase, the true light, we see a couple things. First, we, see, we get this sense that Jesus, who is also described as the Word, had a hand in creation because he was with God the Father from the beginning of time. And that's a lot of where his authority comes from. Because if we're going to say that God created the world, that shows his, his creative power, and that shows that um, definitely he has this, this kind of authority over creation and over uh, just, if someone creates something, that's a big deal. And if Jesus had a hand in that from the beginning of time, that's a big deal as well. And we see the idea of light and darkness already introduced into John's gospel account of the life of Jesus. And I think that's really important for us because we see a lot of, uh, we see a lot of the effects of both light and darkness in our world. And so I read these five verses just to get us to see. This is the context that shows us why John is describing Jesus as the true light. It's saying that in a dark world, if you remember your Old Testament history, um, for the last 400 years before Jesus was born, God, who had been speaking to his people through prophets for quite a long time, there's what's called the silent period, where for 400 years, God's people did not hear from him in the same way that his people did throughout the duration of the rest of the Old Testament. And this is all what's happening preceding the birth of Jesus. And so um, when we think about Jesus having this hand in creation, 
And we also see that he, was, he came into this world to be a light that shines in the darkness, this dark period that God's people were going through. Um, that's how we start to see that John is referring to Jesus as the true light. As I said earlier, there are many phrases that describe Jesus um, and coming into the world during this Christmas season, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, uh, and uh, Savior of the world. Um, but this phrase, the true light, uh, it, sh- it, it shows that he truly came to come into uh, a dark world that we were experiencing. And so the qualification for him being called this true light, it comes from the fact that he, was a, he had a hand in the, the creation of the world, meaning he has this ultimate authority. But then when you think about John's original audience who are hearing this, the gospel accounts were written a couple decades after the events took place. And so if you think about what John's audience would have known about Jesus, I want to read a couple other passages that I think help support the idea that Jesus really is the true light. And if we're saying that Christmas is about Jesus' birth and the fact that he came into this world, if we're saying that's a really important thing, we have to ask ourselves why. Why does it matter that this one being came into the world? And there's three words I want to focus on that I think these are far from the only three words that describe Jesus as the Son of God. But there's three words that I really want to focus on, I think, that help kind of show further qualification that Jesus is this true light coming into a dark world. And the words I want to focus on are compassionate, self-sacrificial, and undaunted. I'm going to quickly go through a couple passages to, just to give us a sense of what did Jesus actually do when he came into this world. And so John's audience, who is hearing this account of, of hearing the, this account in the Gospel of John uh, many years later after they had happened, they would be familiar with all of the different uh, things I'm about to mention right now. And I think it's good for us to be familiar with these as well to see why Jesus is the true light. So what does it mean that Jesus was compassionate? Um, in Matthew chapter 9, verses, starting in verse 35, right in the midst of Jesus' ministry, we see the heart and the, the attitude that Jesus has towards the people that he sees. It talks about, in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And this is far from the only place in the gospel accounts where it shows this heart of compassion that Jesus has. You see it in his individual interactions he has with people throughout the gospels. But really, it shows you the heart of Jesus, that he had this compassion, that he wanted people to be healed. And that's a big part of what describes him as the true light. And so... um, that gives you a sense of his attitude that he has this compassion that I think sometimes I know in my own life often goes missing, where it's like, wow, if I look at people who might be hurting, do I have that same compassion at heart? And this verse is always very challenging, but I think also really important for me to come across every once in a while when I am too focused on my own life or things that, um, things that keep me from feeling a compassion for others. But it shows us that Jesus, the true light, really was this, this compassionate um, person. Now, not only was he compassionate, he was also very self-sacrificial. And you see that in a really amazing passage in the book of Philippians that talks about the heart that Jesus had in giving up his own life um, for, for the sake of our sins being forgiven, for the sake of humanity. And so when Paul is writing to the Philippian church, remember last week, we saw how in chapter one, Paul wanted to thank God for the relationships he had with others within the body of Christ. And he's writing this from prison 
which shows you his mindset that though his earthly circumstances are not going well, he is so thankful for the relationships that he does have. And I shared with us last week, in our hardest of times, the thing I've been most thankful for, the thing that's gotten me through really difficult seasons of life, is remembering that I can be thankful for the people that God has blessed me with. And it's a reminder that though we might lose things in our lives that are very important to us, we don't lose everything, um, much the way that, that Job did in the Old Testament. And we talked about all that last week. But when you get into chapter 2, as Paul is encouraging the Philippian church, he says this. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I think Philippians chapter 2 is a totally underrated part of the Christmas story, where it talks about how Jesus, remember, if he had this, cre- if he had this hand in creation, if he had God's authority to be a part of creating our world, it's an amazing statement when it says he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, something to just say, hey, I'm just going to chill in heaven here and not worry about the rest of the world, but that he came into our world in human form so that he would one day give his life for ours so that we might be forgiven. That's a really amazing thing, and that's at the heart of who Jesus is, that his whole life was meant to be a blessing to others. So that as he heals people, as he preaches the word of God, um, as he teaches about the kingdom of God, that people would come to know the living God. And I think when it says that he uh, took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, it reminds us that in this Christmas season, Jesus came into our world. And I think that's such an, it's it's a simple but powerful truth that when I think about, when I try to think about Christmas in the most simplistic of ways, I always think Jesus being born as a human, though he is the son of God, though he has this godly authority, it shows that he loves us and he wanted to be with us. And he wanted to do something for us to have an eternal relationship with God. And really, that's what the heart of Christmas is all about. And so thinking about how self-sacrificial Jesus is, it shows us that he really was the true light that this compassionate spirit and this willingness to give his life for others reminds us of what Christmas is all about. And I know I need that reminder when I'm searching for parking spaces or worried about how many things are on the calendar during a very busy Christmas season. Um, Finally, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, This is a passage that uh, I think is familiar to us, but not only was Jesus compassionate and self-sacrificial, but when we think about his qualifications as the true light, being the light of the world, coming into a very dark world, um, he was also extremely undaunted. And I want to read a passage to us that um, there's a lot in this. There's, I don't have time to uh, go too deep into it other than to say I think this helps show who Jesus is as the true light. But this is the passage where Jesus is, it's towards the end of his life, and it's during that last week where he's coming to Jerusalem, and he runs into a lot of the Pharisees who are trying to catch him in something, uh, something that could cause even more trouble, kind of expedite the events of him um, being arrested and crucified and all the things that are about to happen. But this is the passage where the Pharisees come to him, and they try to catch him being uh, 
treasonous towards Rome, who was the, the, ruling, uh, the ruling power that God's people, the Jewish people, and also just the, the ancient Near East were all ruled by at this time. This is a very familiar passage for us, um, where Jesus is asked this question about paying taxes or not, um, which can go any number of different ways, especially when we think a lot of, about a lot of the political questions we might have. But I really love the heart of Jesus that's on display in this passage. So in Mark chapter 12, as Jesus has been doing some teaching in Jerusalem for some time, starting in verse 13, it says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, which was their form of currency at this time, a coin, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And they marvel at him because in this question, what they're trying to do is, if he says, no, God is the ultimate authority, you don't need to pay taxes to Caesar, he's going to have some earthly problems, right? Because uh, people will brand him as a traitor, a treasonous person. But if he says Caesar is the ultimate authority that you need to pay taxes to, it would kind of invalidate a lot of his teaching where he's saying God is the ultimate authority. So they're trying to trap him in this. Many of us know the story, but I love how undaunted Jesus is when a difficult question comes up. And a lot of us, when we watch the news or when we think about who we're voting for or the importance of politics, a lot of us think that politics will save us in some way. And I love what Jesus does here. He's actually not downplaying the importance of politics. He's saying, no, you need to pay, like, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he has this way of answering where he's saying, two things can be true at the same time. You can pay your taxes while also remembering who your ultimate authority is. And a lot of that is because people were having a hard time understanding that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of our world. It's not governed by taxes and structure and government. It's governed by the one true king and the one true God. And there's a huge difference in that. And I think that's really important when we wrestle with a lot of political questions that are important to us. Um, we may have our own beliefs on certain important issues, and uh, we may differ from people who are close to us. And I think that's just a normal part of life. I think that the thing that we've lost the ability to do is have good conversations without judging one another as we try to figure out you know, what we believe. But really, at the end of the day, if Jesus is the true light, and if he is the son of God and he came into this world for a purpose, the way he answers this question shows us he's really the one type of leader that we need the most. A lot of our world puts their hope in elections and politicians that we hope might change things that we think will make things better. And yet, from year after year, I think as humanity goes, we're, we often find ourselves dissatisfied with human leaders where Jesus is trying to show the kingdom of God is very different. And when this challenge comes up to him, he's very undaunted. So the compassionate heart that he has, the fact that he's willing to be self-sacrificing, and that he's undaunted in the, in, in the most difficult moments, I think this gives us a good picture of Jesus as the true light. And so what happens next then? That brings us to our second point. 
If Jesus is being described as the true light, John also shows us that darkness is a very common choice that people choose. And I think that's an important truth for us to wrestle with. And so as we keep reading, in verse 10, when Jesus has been introduced as the true light that came into the world, it says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so Jesus, the son of God, became known to people and as people thought about who he, who he is and the fact that maybe he has this connection to God and was a part of the creation, it says the world did not know him. And I think what John is getting at, if you go back to verse 5, when he was saying that the light overcame the, the darkness that was in the world, it shows us the presence of darkness that was already there and how strong this darkness is to resist the true light. If we keep going in verse 11, after it says, He was in the world, the world was made through him, the world did not know him. Verse 11 says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, this is a a verse that can be a little confusing. Um, There's two real main interpretive options to understand, what does this mean? Who Who are his own that John is referring to here? And commentators will uh, debate what this means. Um, If he came into the world and then his own people don't receive him, there's two main ideas that this could refer to when it says his own. And so it could mean the world because we talked about how he had a hand in creation. And so when it says his own people, then that's a way where it could refer to all of the people in our world are God's people from the standpoint that God loves every person and sees in each person the image of God, and that he wants the whole world to come to know him. And I think there's a lot of evidence for John meaning that, especially when you get to the most famous verse in the Bible a couple of chapters later, and we know John 3.16 very well, when it says that all who believe in him might have eternal life. You do get this sense of God's amazing love for, in the book of John for the entire world. So his own could be referring to the entire people, that God sees all of his people as his own, and he wants people to know him. The second option for what it could mean is that it could also mean ethnic Israel. His own, meaning the Jewish people who knew all of the prophecies. And so when they heard about the coming of Jesus, a lot of the Old Testament prophecies, countless ones that you see there, had people anticipating the birth of a Savior who would one day come and save Israel. Now their idea of what it meant for a Savior to save Israel was different than Jesus's idea. They saw him as a political savior, someone who would free them from foreign rule and then be able to uh, be able to give them freedom. But Jesus's way of doing it was to go and give his life and die on the cross because he's the king of a very different kingdom. And so um, now I don't know what the answer is to what this refers to. I think you can make a good case either way. There's so much about God's people being his own people in the rest of the book of John. And then there's also the sense that for God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him, you know, will have eternal life. You, you, it's hard to determine. And, you know, sometimes as preachers, we'll, we'll make our best guess and say, I think it's this because I think there's a lot we can learn from actually both different interpretations of it. 
and I don't think it changes who Jesus is as the true light. What do I mean by that? If, um, if, if God's own people are this whole world, because God loves people and wants everyone to be saved, says that later in the New Testament, then you get this idea that his, his own not receiving him is a big deal to God, because he wants people to know them, know him, right? And so it means that people are aware of who he is. They know that he's this self-sacrificial, compassionate, undaunted person, but they don't necessarily want to follow him. We see that in our world. It's not hard to see that. And so there are implications of that where it shows us that's how easy it is for people to know who God is but not want to follow him because we have so many examples of that throughout history, when we turn on the news, in our own lives, et cetera, et cetera. And so if that's the interpretation that we would hold to, it has a, a great warning for us, I think, to say that, like, this is how amazing God's love is. And we really have to ask ourselves, why isn't this something that I want more of in my life? And if it's referring to ethnic Israel, really the implication there is the people who knew best that the coming of a Messiah, of a Savior, was going to happen because they knew all the prophecies. The implication for that, for a lot of us who, if you're like me, you've grown up going to church, the idea is that a lot of times growing up in church, if you hear the phrase, Jesus loves you, we might become desensitized to it because we've heard it more. The Jewish people had heard more about God's prophecies. And if John is saying it was God's own people who didn't receive him, they're the ones who should have known the most of the reality that a savior would come into the world. And yet you see in a variety of ways throughout the gospel accounts how God's own people, when it does specifically refer to the nation of Israel, do not want to follow him either. We're not quite sure, at least in my mind, I'm not quite sure which of those two interpretations is, is correct. But either way, I think there's much we can learn from both of them in saying this is how easy it is for people to be aware of God, maybe a little bit, but then just not want to follow him. And I think we see that in our world. And that's the danger that we run um, from being influenced by a, dark, by, by, a very, by a world that's filled with darkness. And so a point of application for us as we think about this phrase where John is saying, here's the true light, here's Jesus, here's this person who's compassionate and, and sacrificial and he's been prophesied about and he's coming to try and make things right. Um, we want to be aware of the reality of darkness, not just in our world, but in our, own, in our own lives as well, where we often are aware of God's goodness, but we choose something else. And uh, we want to be aware of the reality of sin and following dark paths that we all have the temptation to follow. Um, and we want to learn from what John is saying here. And so I think there's a couple, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple ways that we want to think of this idea of the influences of darkness in our world. Um, as I've talked to people about a lot of things that are important to us, um, I think our, our world, uh, from good intentions, often wants to believe that all of us are inherently good, and yet then we believe that all the choices that we make maybe, not are, maybe are not as bad as we think they are because we're doing it with a, with, a, with a good heart or a good motivation. But when you look at what the Bible has to say about the reality of sin, like if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, even after you get out of the first five books, if you go back and read the book of Judges, 
if we think our world is in a dark place right now, and I think there's so much evidence to suggest that it is, if you go back and you read the book of Judges, you can make a good case that as, as bad and as sinful as our world is, like either it was worse back then or it's kind of always been that way when the phrase that's repeated over and over again is every person did as he or she saw fit. And that's what's going on in the book of Judges, right? And so I think as we read about the true light coming into the world and how God's own people didn't recognize him, I think we want to be aware of the reality that it's very easy for us to choose darkness in our own lives. And that that can have really harmful implications for us. And so I think being aware of this fact, being aware of the fact that God's own people, whatever that means, I think in both cases, points us to this fact that it's easy for us as humans to want to choose something other than God. But there's so much good when we do receive the light that comes into the world. And that's our final point for this morning. That's where we see that receiving Jesus inherits light. And we see this starting in verse 12. And so if we're talking about the, the kind of the real serious and somber effects of living in a dark world and living in a world where it's easy for us to reject God's goodness, what is our hope? If it's so easy to choose darkness, what is the good news that we have? And I think that's why John continues to write what he does in verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so in starting in verse 12, the word but, it is a, it's, a, it's an indicator to show that if the last part was about God's people not, not, uh, not wanting to follow him, the word but changes the tone to say, hey, but there's still good news. What is it? Those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, Don, Don Carson, who's one of the, uh, he, one of, if not the most well-known uh, commentator on the book of John, when he writes about this verse, he, when he talks about the idea of believing in his name, he says this. He says, the name is more than a label. It is the character of the person, or even the person himself. And we, we understand that, right? Like, when we say a person's name, it's not just that, like, it's their name, but there's so much more to it, right? Like, if I say the name Daniel Gillum, and you're a junior high boy, you immediately think of shoulder exercises, because he's forced you to do them for so many years. Like, there's actually deeper meaning towards, like, that person's name. And it's true. Like, when you get to know someone, it, a person's name is not just, like, you know, their first name and last name, but there's so much more of who they are and what their character is about that comes along with that. And Carson says... When it comes to believing in his name, he says such faith yields allegiance to the word, trusts him completely, the word referring to Jesus Christ, because that's how John has referred to him already, trusts him completely, acknowledges his claims, and confesses him with gratitude. That is what it means to receive him. And so where it says his own people did not receive him, it shows this lack of faith in knowing who Jesus is and believing him and wanting to follow him. And though we might have any number of ways to describe how our world can be lost in a state of darkness, the good news is that the true light came into the world. 
And when we put our hope in the name of Jesus, which isn't just some magical just believing in his name, but it's so much more than that. It's trusting what he says in his word. It's allowing God to lead and guide us as we go through our lives. When we do that, what do we get? We get the right to become children of God. And I think the fact that Jesus, the true light, came into our world, as we think about what the Christmas season is, like that is such an amazing opportunity that we have to remind ourselves that life is more than our stresses of our finals or our work or all of the holiday like busyness that comes along with it. And where the holidays can bring a lot of stress, I pray that we would remember that the most important thing is that the true light did come into the world and that when we do put our faith in him, that we can trust that we are his children. And so a couple points of application for us this morning. When we think about these verses, that the true light came into the world, that a dark world wants to reject God uh, and wants to reject Jesus, the Son of God. I hope that we can be thankful, as the last two verses we read suggest, that it's even an option for us to experience life as a child of God. And the only reason that's an option is because the true light came into this world, a very dark world at that. And if we believe who Jesus is, the true light, as we've described him based on both what John says about him, having this authority from creation, and what you see about the person of Jesus as John writes the rest of his gospel, but also these other verses that we read that showed him to be, uh, to be compassionate, to be sacrificial, to be undaunted. When we trust that he is the true light, I really believe we get to experience what verses 12 and 13 say, where we get to experience what life is like being children of God. Um, I want to finish with a really cool experience I had at Costco yesterday. So I was reading these verses early in the morning. I was working on, working on this message and what I was going to say. But just something that might not seem like a big deal really reminded me that I have this option to know that I am a child of God and how that can change my perspective from anxiety or busyness or whatever darkness is going on that we see in our world to actually seeing that Jesus is the true light. Um, I was shopping at Costco, and I went uh, as close to opening as possible because it's kind of funny. It's like uh, I knew I just needed to get a couple things for our Vertigo friends giving and then get out of there before all of the holiday like you know traffic comes up. So it's like 9.05. And I'm like, I know the three ingredients that I need to get, and my plan was to just go and grab them and then get out of there so I could like, not deal with all the traffic. And so you can already sense, like as I'm describing this, like it was the second grocery store stop, and I was trying to hit it right at 9 o'clock, right when it would open so I could beat the crowds. But as I always do, as I'm going through Costco, I get distracted by the clothing section, as I think many of us do. Um, I have a hard time going to Costco and seeing all the deals on clothes. Some of you might think like, oh man, Costco clothes, they're not in style. I don't view it that way. I love Costco. Like this, this, this shirt is from Costco right now, $14.99 if anyone wants to wear something like this. Gavin, who's in Australia right now, came to church wearing the same sweater as me last year and I was so happy. But anyway, that shows you how easily I can be distracted by the clothing section at Costco, even though I just needed like a couple ingredients to cook some food. 
And so as I'm going, I'm going, I'm pushing my cart through the clothing section. I don't know why I have a cart, because I only need three things, but that invites the opportunity to put more things in the cart. And so as I'm looking at all the signs and what's there, I do, my ADHD kicks in, and this happens often, but this has never happened before. But as I'm looking at a sign across the way to see, oh, what's the, what's the price on those pants over there? I run my cart right into the corner of like a tall stack of men's flannel shirts, and the whole thing just falls over on the floor, like out in the aisle. Daniel's dying back there. Like, it's, it really was that funny, but, and so like, to me, it's like, is it kind of embarrassing? Yeah, it's not that crowded yet because I went early in the morning to beat all the crowds. But like, you know, I start picking them up and out of nowhere, this guy who I didn't even see him there just starts helping me. He's not an employee. I was like looking for the name tag to see is this like part of his job description. But it was this really nice Hispanic man, probably a little bit older than me, and he started helping me. And I could tell he was in a hurry too. And I said, hey, thanks, thanks for helping me. Like that, that was really kind of you. And what he said to me, like, kind of stuck with me afterwards. Because he said, it's only right. I thought, wow, like, what, what an amazing heart for someone to say, it's only right. Because I thought about those words and I thought, no, not really. Like, what's only right is, like, I'm the one who knocked down all the clothes. I should be the one who's picking them all up. And yet there's also part of me that believes it is only right for us as humanity to want to help someone who's in a situation like that. Now, I'm not, I'm like, I may have been easily embarrassed in my younger days. There's not a lot that embarrasses me anymore. So like, you know, if I had to pick them all up, it was fine. But it was such a nice experience that someone wanted to help me in the, that moment, let alone to say, it's only right that I do this. Because it's not. I'm the one who knocked the clothes over. What's only right is for me to, in a sense, make it right, is pick them all up and put them back on the, on the table, right? That is the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the one hand, it is only right that we feel this idea that we have to make up for all of our sins or all of the things that we've committed, and yet the fact is that we can't. And yet there was something that, even though it's not right that he has to help me, it's an act of grace, there was something when he said that, I said, that is an amazing way to see life. Now, I didn't say all this. He was in a hurry. I just thanked him, and he went on his way. But I share this story to say, you know, the idea of light and really what we're describing when we say light is love and grace and moral goodness. It all has to come from somewhere. And when we think about, like, this is not the only, like, I, I'm pretty sure that many of you, if you saw this happen in Costco and a perfect stranger, like, knocked something over, knowing you the way that I know many of you, I think a lot of us would stop and help that person. And you hear stories of acts of goodwill like this. But his response in saying it was only right got me thinking, like, it's really amazing that he would view life that way. To say, it's only right that I help this perfect stranger, even though he's the one who knocked down all the clothes. And I think that in that moment, I got a picture of what it was like that I've been given the right to become a child of God. I felt like it was God's way of saying, hey, Dan, you're stressed out in the, all the holiday like stuff on your schedule. But let me remind you that I am your heavenly father and that you are a child of God. And when we choose light over darkness, but when we actually think about what light really is, and John is saying Jesus is the true light. When we choose light over darkness, we remember what Christmas is all about. And we're getting a head start on it. We're not even into December. But before we get into all the craziness, can we remember that the truest meaning of Christmas 
is that God loves us and wanted to be with us and make a way for us to know him, so he sent Jesus into this world. And that's why the birth of Jesus is so important, because he is the true light. And true, what true light is, it comes from somewhere. And I would say, when we receive this, this, this right to become children of God, we understand what it means to experience light in a very dark world. And I believe that changes us into people where we can share that goodness with others as well. And I pray that God would give us opportunities to be a light in a very dark world this holiday season. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for how much you love us. God, we thank you that though this world is dark in so many ways, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we could see the ultimate picture of love and grace and that we could have the hope of experiencing life as a child of God, not only right now in this world, but when we are with you in one day in heaven. God, I pray for any of us who are struggling to, uh, to remember that we are children of God. Lord, I pray that we would know that, um, God, that you would speak to us, that you would remind us in the same way I got this wonderful random reminder yesterday. God, that we are your children and that you love us and that you are watching over us. And God, I pray for anyone here who has never experienced you as the light of this world. God, that you would be opening their eyes to see the goodness of knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So God, we thank you for your, your word, and we ask, God, that we would be experiencing your light during this Christmas season. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.